Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Tom Fernelli on assignment today uh, as we gather on a Monday a little bit earlier than usual. We've got uh, a lot to get to here. Uh, We finally get a chance uh, to digest and react a little bit to Vanderbilt's decision uh, to move forward from Derek Mason. There are now two jobs in the SEC, both in the SEC East, that are open. Um, What do we think about those jobs? Who might be in the mix for that? Indiana takes a a really disappointing loss as we get further injury news here on a Monday about Michael Penix Jr. Uh, We've got more opt-outs across the country, including at Florida State, where Florida State uh, will not be playing this weekend again. Its game against Duke has been rescheduled by the ACC. It looks like the Seminoles are going to be on the sideline for uh, two, I guess, three straight weeks at this point. We go Clemson. Then you go uh, this weekend's game against Virginia. And then they were supposed to play at Duke, and uh, and that's already been rearranged. Minnesota Northwestern's gotten canceled. We've we got to take some time to like figure out what the heck is going on in the Big Ten. So uh, lots to get to. Let's uh, let's let's start with Vanderbilt, Mayor of Nashville, Barton Simmons. I I can't help but think that on Saturday night when you talked about your conversations with Vanderbilt alums and, and people who are invested in the program, uh, it was a frustration that it, it was being, uh, it was a frustration that Vanderbilt didn't consider itself from like an administration standpoint as being a big time football program, even though you're existing in the SEC with big time football programs. It, listening back to that conversation, thinking back to that conversation, did you have a feeling at the time that the news was potentially coming down on Sunday that Derek Mason was going to be out? I, I didn't have an inkling at the time of the conversation, though in the, I would say, week, week and a half preceding, I had, I, in talking to people, I had come under the impression that by the end of the season, the <clears throat> the appetite to make a move with, with Derek Mason was going to be there. Uh, you know that maybe it wasn't there yet, but that it was it was moving in that direction in a much more meaningful way than um, than, than maybe people anticipated prior to the season. Um, so I am not surprised at all that this move was made. I didn't necessarily see it coming after the Missouri game, but the way they played against Missouri, in, in honesty, I'm not saying that the Sarah Fuller stuff caused the um, the firing, but I do think that because such a um, spotlight was on the kicker and because the kicker was only able to get on the field one time 
for the start of the second half. Something that only the, the officials half. can get you out there for. Due to just, I mean, literally, Vander, like, and, and granted, I think this is the first first game all year where Vanderbilt literally didn't even get into field goal range. Like, they didn't even have an opportunity to talk about what her range would be because they just, I mean, it was 41 nothing of ineptitude. And so I think that uh, more than anything, not, not the Sarah Fuller stuff, but the idea that here's this, here's this big national story about Vanderbilt's female kicker and Vanderbilt's not even a good enough football team for her to like be on the field. Um, And so I think that just, that just sort of hammered home the point of like where this team is at. And I'll tell you one of the, one of the most fascinating things about the Sarah Fuller deal, more impressive than her, her being on the team, more impressive than her, you know, making field goals in practice, kicking the squib kick to start the second half was the story that she literally got up at halftime and like spoke to the team. It was Mm -hmm. like, y'all, this is, we're not encouraging each other. Y'all got to do better. This is not, I just won an SEC championship because we were all invested and bought in together. That, that is an incredible testament to her that she has the the courage to get up there and, and, and say something like that. But secondly, that's a incredible indictment on the team of sort of where they're at. And I can't blame those guys because that's, this is a this has been a 0 and 8 season. I mean, it's probably tough to stay engaged all year, but and that, an 0 and 8 season representative of where they're at. Yeah, an 0 and 8 season where their numbers have been awful. Like Vanderbilt's had some of these like well, I mean, obviously we're to a point where they um, you know, needed to look at other options for kicker, but weren't we down to like 49 scholarship players? I mean, we've been doing this this dance before where well, Mississippi State's going to play with 44. Uh, well, we've dropped below 53 over here. I mean, didn't didn't Vanderbilt have some super thin numbers like could barely even practice? I just have so many SEC yeah. teleconferences where Derek Mason just doesn't even feel confident in the fact that they're able to go through football operations. So it's incredibly demoralizing to be a player but uh but I agree with you those the Sarah Fuller press conference which was on Zoom Sunday morning hours before the news broke about Derek Mason that quote that she had about her halftime speech which included coaches coming up to her and saying I'm glad you said that I've been yeah. we've needed to hear that message yeah. it's fascinating all right, I got to be careful. <laughs> Just <laughs> wading down some waters, I got to be careful, which is unfortunate, right? Because I think, why can't we have a discussion about something that was an awesome historic moment, but just have an honest discussion about it? I was worried when I saw these comments come out because I was like, uh-oh, this could impact Derek Mason's tenure. This could impact the image of him and the football program in general. And I totally agree that it wasn't probably – what got Derek Mason fired, but I guarantee you it didn't help that you had so many eyeballs on that game to watch Sarah Fuller make history, right? And then, you know, there's the butt of the joke. Oh, if only maybe she could play quarterback too, because they obviously need a quarterback. Maybe she could play offensive line. Like, and then it just became this kind of downward spiral. And then of course they didn't get in the red zone, couldn't even do it. So it, and it was their worst offensive output game of the entire season. So all those things did not help Derek Mason. The part about the comments out to the locker room that that bothered me somewhat is we don't know what it's like inside the locker room. Have you guys watched and different sports are different, right? I'll give you an example. Have you watched college baseball versus college softball? I've watched a lot of both because I think they're really entertaining. I watch a lot of the college world series because it's fun to watch. I've covered the college uh, baseball uh, for a bunch. I did about six or seven years covering college baseball since I played at Florida state. Have you noticed the difference? Like baseball players do it one way. 
softball players doing another softball they're literally cheering the entire game like they're doing cheers from the dugout like hey here we go batter batter like doing these songs doing these dedicated like cheers that is cool and it's part of what makes softball unique that is not baseball I don't know what happens on a soccer field but I don't know if that's necessarily the indictment that people wanted to make it out to be that she stood up I think it takes an incredible amount of her courage for her to do that in an environment that she doesn't know what it's like. I mean, she was only on the team for a week, but I don't, I hope that wasn't the reason that it, Derek Mason was let go. Is that fair? Like, is that no, a fair I, assessment I, to make? I don't yeah, think it was the reason. The reason is like, the, reason is like right. go, like, the reality is that Derek Mason seven. <laughs> was fortunate to get to year seven, right? Yes. And so w- w- I, I think part of the calculus for Derek Mason being let go is that okay, as bad as this year is, oh, tough circumstances, freshman quarterback, rebuild offensive line, lost some NFL guys, and COVID issues. What's next year going to be like? I think that's the, that's ultimately what you get down to is, okay, all right, so year seven, this is the roster we've got. This is what we're doing. We're 0-8. Uh, we're in, we're, we, we get the same circumstances as everybody else in this COVID environment. Um, and so what happens next year, I think the, the fear of how bad it could be next year is, is why you just have to make this thing, this, this move now. Um, I think that the, the Sarah Fuller stuff was all, all just sort of optics as much as anything and, and just furthered the, the conversation. But I'll say this too, to your point, Danny, I, I, I hear what you're saying on the culture of the sport or whatever, but it's not, it's not hard to sort of understand that like the team was sort of checked out. I mean, that's a 41, nothing to a, just an okay. Missouri team. I think it's clear they're checked out and you, I'm say, sure, sure you've been on a sideline. I've been on a sideline where there's a bunch of guys, like maybe they're not, you know, a bunch of, like I played at a, at a program where half the roster, like was just doing football for uh, an extracurricular bullet point on their resume. Right. And right. So, you can feel that when half the team is like playing grab ass, talking about where they're going to go to to uh, to party that that night, versus a team that's like dialed in, invested, watching the game, like like really encouraging their teammates. Like that's a different feeling, and I think that that's a fair fair point to make. Totally, and I, um, I also think too. Look, I played in the NFL. I saw it way more because I was on some bad teams that guys checked out, and it was you know the environment was horrible. But I also think like she's uh, and Sarah Fuller's getting, you know, what a incredible inspiration, like what a job took, you know, and it did take her. But I also think if it was somebody who was maybe a walk on or some kid, a a male who had come in there and tried to give a pep talk and the, the, the rest of the team would have been like, all right, pipe down, Sparky. Like you weren't here with us in July when we were going through two a days. You know what I mean? Like I if it was that. if it was a sure. male who had come from the soccer it might have team, still, it might have still had that reaction. Honestly, who knows? I, exactly, yeah. and we don't know that. So that's where I was kind of like, I just thought like, and there, and this is going to happen with this situation. Is there's going to be overreactions, and there's going to be visceral reactions, and there's going to be a lot of negativity, and there's negativity. There's going to be a lot of positivity. I personally thought it was awesome. Like I had it with my daughters. Um, I and I. I said, I asked the question, which was the wrong question apparently to ask was, was that a pooch kick or not? Like, I just wanted to know because I wasn't watching the game live. And all of a sudden I had all these people, like, what a sexist comment. What a, I'm like, well, I just want to know. I'm very curious to know, was it or was it not? And then 
I wanted to like shut up all these haters who were coming at me, accusing me of being a sexist, be like, I had talked, I had showed my daughters, because my daughters, I heard you guys on the reaction pod. I had, my daughters are old enough to realize what's going on. So I had told them the night before, hey, you guys are going to have to watch this. And I taped the game because I didn't want to make them sit through a Vanderbilt, Missouri game from start to finish. Like they weren't being punished. This was supposed to be an inspirational moment. So when it did unfold, I went back and showed them and I would like put out a picture and then people were like, oh yeah, you just, you taped the game and played it back to stage this moment. And then I'm like, you can't win. Like you literally yeah. cannot win. It's just, it's just one of those things that you can't, uh, you can't win in that conversation. I thought it was awesome, but I do think it's worth noting like if it was a PR stunt, so what? It was an awesome PR stunt that can bring positivity to a lot of young women who are watching. Can't that be like, can't both of those be true? Apparently not uh, in 2020. Do you, who do you, so what direction does Vanderbilt go? So I think that there are, I think that there are, and I've, I've talked to some people today, um, just getting a trying to get a little bit of the lay of the land. I think there are two clear sort of top candidates entering the process who knows where the process will turn um which which coaches pop up uh candace story lee the athletic director um you know maybe her path takes her in other directions but i think at at the at the beginning of this process at the inception of the search i think will healy and clark lee will healy the head coach at charlotte clark lee the defensive coordinator at notre dame are the two names that um based on who i've talked to are going to enter this thing with with sort of the um you know, the lead, the lead pack. Um, I think you can, I think Jamie Chadwell is going to have some opportunity maybe um, as a, as a, an offensive innovative mind. I think Jeff Monken is the candidate from the service academies that makes the most sense. And I think he would want this job as well. Uh, so that that's your triple option nugget. Like a, the guy that they, I think that would have the opportunity. Uh, I think Lance Leipold at Buffalo is probably this is probably a job he would want as well. I, I, I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it on the reaction. This is a job. Maybe I didn't, but this is a job that, in in terms of like group of five head coaches, there is interest in this job. People want this job. People see Nashville. They see the ability to stay. Like Derek Mason just stayed for seven years without having a winning season. Where where else in a, in in the Power Five can you be at a program for seven years without a winning season? Um, and so that's an, that's appealing. And Eric Mason's getting paid like three and a half, four million. Um, so that that's where the things I think start, and then you start getting towards. Hey, maybe if Vandy goes towards like a Tony Elliott at Clemson, uh, Charles Huff at Alabama. Some of the assistant types, as you don't know, what, sort of how they interview or what what that you know what the what it looks like for uh, you know in terms of how that that's perceived within the decision makers, but. I think that's your, your starting group right there. And honestly, I think there's a lot of really good candidates in that group. There are some fantastic candidates. I had three because I was, I am more skeptical if the job is attract is as attractive to some of the young up and comers, but you just make some really good points. Like you should be able, you could recruit to Nashville. Um, you do have some job security that you wouldn't have at a lot of different places at the power five level, especially in the sec. I had Jeff Monken as the, cause I, and I selfishly, I kind of want to see this happen. Like I want to see an opportunity for, um, you know, a coach to come in, think outside the box and see if you could go against the grain, have that talent neutralizer, which is a system, which, you know, you're going to, you're going to cut guys. You're, it's a system 
that you were going to run to neutralize because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to recruit with those guys. So I like it from that aspect. That aspect. I had Lance Leipold as well because I think he's just a fantastic coach who's one of where everywhere he's been. I think he'd be a great option. Um, I had a really, really far outside the box uh, name that I was going to throw at you. Don't tell oh, wait, me Jeff oh. Fisher. Don't tell me Jeff <laughs> no, Fisher. No, no, no. It wasn't that far out of the box, but it's not that much further removed. And I'm curious to see what Chip thinks of this suggestion as well, to see if you guys just the jaws drop and you're like, get out of here crazy. I got another. I, I'm curious who this is. Thinking, I, I got right, one so thinking, too. thinking, because I am all about the triple option at Vanderbilt or something that I don't even think you have to be like the whole thing, triple option, but do something that's unique, like that is going to maybe you go against the grain. You run the ball uh, out of different sets and don't throw it very much. So we saw Mac Brown hired at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He was widely panned, right? Everybody, oh, this is a horrible move. It's a horrible move. It's never going to work. What does he do? Comes in, has a ton of success. I've got a coach. Are you going to go Jerry DiNardo? No, no, no. <laughs> I love guessing where you going to go. I've got another coach, 63 years old. Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson. No. So why not? Why, why not? So had success <laughs> at a school in a big city where you're able to recruit kind of surroundings where you did have some academic requirements. You, you had restrictions, maybe not quite as much at Vanderbilt, but you maximized what you were given. You ran a system that worked against the powerhouses. And, but the only thing I, I don't know, I don't even know if Paul Johnson, like what's his level of desire to be back in football. He's made a lot of money. Uh, what's his level of desire coaching today's player? There are some questions there. That was my completely outside the box, wild, crazy idea. Other than that, I would say Munkin or Leipold. Just go, if you're going to go that route, just go Munkin. Because at least I actually talked to someone recently. Like Munkin actually, because you don't know because it's Army, but mm-hmm. Munkin actually does care about recruiting. Like he is, he, he's, I've, I've heard he's sort of a psycho in terms of just sort of the, how, um, you know, attention to detail and, um, and, and just how deliberate he is in terms of the recruiting process where they got to have boards of like 30 guys at each position at army. Um, so just go monking. If you're going to go, if you're going to go, the I'm, option cool with that. I'm cool with that. And then I, I got your, your coaching carousel settled right here between South Carolina and Vanderbilt. Just do Billy Napier in South Carolina, monking at Vanderbilt and go on to the next. I think Napier, I think it sounds like Napier may be asking too much money at South Carolina. Is that really how that's going? Uh, that's just, uh, that sort of seems to be the, like the, the buzz. I think do you think Hugh Freeze is in play. I think Hugh Freeze is the next coach at Tennessee. That's I think that's more likely than South Carolina. But I think he's going to have to wait unless mm-hmm. things get really sure. sideways this year. But I Agreed. think like Lane yeah. Kiffin, Lane Kiffin waited around one more year at FAU and then he got a job that's a great gig for him. Like I think that's kind of where Hugh Freeze is. I think he's pretty, con- you know, he's got a good thing going. He can win it at Liberty another year. His name's not going to go away. I think he can wait for a better job in South Carolina. Um. Is Shane Beamer, is that stuff happening? Because there's, you know, coaching carousel season, a lot of like our sources. And then I click on, like, I don't follow this person. And then you click on it and you find out that it's just like the official Twitter account of the seven to 10 o'clock block, you know, at, you know, whatever. And, and like the, I feel like a radio station always has uh, a good, good report. It's like our sources say that if the board, you know, is going to approve it. Like if, if it goes through all the final checks, Shane Beamer is ready to become the next head coach at South Carolina. And again, with big jobs, you'll see maybe even three or four different names get this kind of reporting. 
Shane Beamer's not like the Billy Napier buzzy hire. Shane Beamer mm-hmm. comes with very little like trendy upward trajectory. I mean, he's he's currently at Oklahoma. Um, but is is that is that going to happen? Like, will there be a Shane Beamer announcement in the in the next two weeks? Shane Beamer is not an exciting, sexy hire. I will say, in defense of Shane Beamer, if he were to get this hire, it would be almost almost entirely because of the groundswell of support that he's gotten from former players and people within inside the sort of South Carolina family. And so <clears throat> when we look at – actually, so the head coach right now at Yale – who's been awesome is a guy that wasn't a, he came from Harvard. He was an assistant coach at Harvard. He hadn't been a coordinator before he was, he was my coach at Yale, my position coach. He got, uh, he got that job because of the support from players, right? Cause everyone who had played under him knew how, you know, how detail oriented he was, you know, how invested he was in his players. And he's been a, 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 he's been a success. He's won a couple Ivy league titles. He's been great. You know, Arkansas right now, why does Sam Pittman get that job? He does not get that job if there wasn't all those people reaching out on his behalf with the, that the former players, people that, that played under him in his previous stop at Arkansas. And he's so far, he's a success. So while that is not a coach that necessarily I, based on the information that I have, that I'm privy to, and, and the observations of like South Carolina and just sort of what I know about Shane Beamer, like that's not a confidence-inspiring pick to me. But I, I will sort of credit, you know, the 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 um, you know, the optimistic viewpoint here is that look, there's a reason why these players that have played under him, that are within the South Carolina family, that are had exposure to him, want him to be the head coach. Those guys want South Carolina to win more than anybody. So it's I'm I'm I will entertain any hire being the right one unless I have personal information that like leads me to like leads me to a different direction. But I don't have anything to tell me that Shane Beaver is the wrong hire. It's just not the guy I would based on the, the resume. So he was, uh, there was uh, two years at Georgia, and then there was about three seasons at South Carolina, and that South Carolina was under Steve Spurrier. And yep. he's from, born in Charleston. So there's, uh, you know, there's, there's connections there. But it would not be the... Um, and he's bringing the Oklahoma offense, the Lincoln Riley offense. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you get to do now? You get like, you, you, you are hiring Lincoln Riley even when you're hiring the, the man who is 10 years older than Lincoln Riley? Uh, yeah, okay. Lincoln, hey, Lincoln Riley magic dust. Cliff Kingsbury is head coach of the Arizona Cardinals because he knew Sean McVay. <laughs> he was friendly <laughs> with him. Like there, that is a very real thing that goes on. You get in the right coaching tree, like like coaching mentions, and you'll be uh, just fine. Um. Okay. Bronco. So there's uh there there has been some breaking news as we've been sitting here recording. Uh, we mentioned at the top, Minnesota Northwestern has been canceled, and I guess that means that Northwestern is now the Big Ten West champions. Congratulations to the Northwestern Wildcats. They have now made it mathematically impossible for anyone to catch them. Northwestern will be in Indianapolis playing for a Big Ten championship. Will Northwestern be playing Ohio State? Well, didn't it didn't Michigan pause team activities today? Yes, Did I see that. Yes, they will not. I don't think they do. I don't think Ohio State's gonna get to the Big Ten championship with some of the issues they have going on right now. So there's an uh, there is an opportunity 
if the Big Ten wants to amend its rules and change everything on the fly, and everyone's been willing to change everything on the fly, except for the college football playoff. Uh, but, you know, Big Ten once had the season canceled. Like, would the Big Ten amend its rules to be able to get Ohio State in that Big Ten championship game? Do you think it has that much value? Or do you think that Ohio State, Wisconsin, not in the Big Ten championship, that game gives Ohio State a better chance of making it to the college football playoff than getting shooed in to play Northwestern? It definitely helps them more. The committee can say all they want with the criteria. And of one conference of the criteria. championships. Yes. They can say that all they want, but what means more is what their eyes tell you and who is the better opponent, who's the better win. And I know Northwestern beat Wisconsin, but I think that human bias towards brands comes into play. And I just, I think it's a better win for Ohio State to beat Wisconsin. Now you need, Wisconsin has how many games left? Who they have left? Let's see. Because you kind of need them to hang on and still, you know, stay relative, you know, relatively good. Are they be be a one-loss team. Yeah, they got Indiana and Iowa, so they they beat those two teams convincingly. I think it's a better situation for Ohio State. Now, if they lose one of those, then all of a sudden you can throw all that out. Is Indiana going to take a major hit with Michael Penix Jr. out, or do you think that Jack Tuttle can still be able to like Wisconsin? I I would say that Michael Penix Jr. is a a deal breaker if I'm thinking about picking the Hoosiers and I'm not going to be picking them now, but what about in terms of, uh, you know, the rest of the way, is that, is that a major loss or do you still think that that offense can be able to work? I think, I think Jack Tuttle is, is capable of running that offense because I mean, Danny gave us a hard time about it on the, the reaction pod. Um, but Michael Penix put up a big number against Ohio state, and I think Michael Penix is good. I want to reiterate that. I'm not saying he's not, but I, I don't think that that's the identity of this team. I don't think it's Michael Penix. I think it's this defense. And honestly, it's probably the wide receivers offensively more so to me than the quarterback. And, you know, I continue to sort of backhand Michael Penix. I don't mean that. Michael Penix is a good player, but I think Jack Tuttle is a guy who's, who he was a four-star coming out of high school. Not that that's always right, but it's not that he's not talented. It's not that he doesn't have ability. Um, he, I think he's capable of keeping the train on the tracks here. Uh, and as long as those wide receivers keep on making plays and that defense keeps on showing up. I would tend to agree. And I'm a Michael Penix backer. Um, there's always somebody who's younger and hasn't played as much. There's going to be a learning curve there. But with Freifogel, Fillier, Stevie Scott in the backfield, like they have some offensive weapons that are pretty good, just should make that transition pretty smooth. Trying to see the line movement on this. I, th- I think it did move up about a field goal because it was it opened at 10 and a half. It was around 10, and now I'm seeing it. You can get Indiana plus 13 and a half. So clearly they feel there's some you know disadvantage to losing Penix, which is understandable. I think a field goal is probably about appropriate. Still don't know what to do with Wisconsin, considering Wisconsin's only had three games. They looked awesome in two of them and then totally stuck in the mud against Northwestern. So... I don't know. Go figure. I guess Big Ten's out of the playoffs, right? No. No? Mm. You 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 think that okay, let's Pac-12's out of the playoffs. All yes, right. We can sure. rule that we can rule them out. Correct. Um so we still have ACC at least one, SEC at least one is is basically you're arguing for and let's even just throw the ACC a second team in. Let's just say it's Clemson and Notre Dame. 
So you're arguing a second SEC team versus whatever the Big Ten resume is? I think if the Big Ten resume is undefeated, I still think that that's going to be tough for the committee to resist. Here's what's going to be incredibly infuriating, and I think it's totally okay to feel this way. <laughs> is if no, like I mean, I, I just think yeah. it's going to be one of these things going to irritate a lot of people. Like the committee should have said, we need to see X amount of games. There has to be a minimum requirement met in order I to make the playoffs. That, but how is it fair that you could have teams play eleven games and maybe twelve games? And Ohio State, like they're going to lose more games. They're not. I don't think this is going to be a hey, they've only lost two. I mean, because, like, remember when Graham Mertz went out doing all the math and we're trying to figure out three weeks? Like, we don't know the Ohio State players that are involved, but we know it's going to be 21 days. Like, they're going to miss another game. Don't you feel that way or no? You think they come back? I just think that it's not – it's not – I don't know. I guess If Ohio State players' fault. It's not really – I agree. So so let's just – like, we – you know, let's trust the good-ass eyes. Let's trust the committee. But Let's at some just, point I mean, there is a, but, but at some point it's an unfair competitive advantage. And they, and they need to take that into account. Like they need to weigh that and just there, there, I don't think there's a true formula to where you can just like, if, if Ohio, the, 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 the tricky part is Ohio state hasn't looked unbeatable. If Ohio state has been, been beating people the way Alabama is beating people right now, then I think it's a, you know, then it's a, like, a, it's clear. It's like, well, come on. Like, who cares? They've only played five games. Like they're the best. They're the they're the second best. Maybe the best team in the country. You got to get them in. That they're not necessarily doing that. They're winning, but that they're not doing it in like like egregious fashion. Then, then you got to. Then I think the committee does have to take it take it into account. Be like, all right. I mean, they've only played five games. They've only played six games. Uh, how how have they looked in those six games? How has that looked versus whatever six game sliver you want to take off of Florida schedule or Texas A and M schedule? Because you know, if, if if Ohio State had played seven or eight, maybe they get tripped up somewhere. I think then you then you become the human, you become subjective, and you figure it out. I think anytime you're putting like hard and fast rules on it in a year like this, I just don't think that that's fair. Um, and I know you're about fair, Danny. No, but I don't think it's fair to have that uncompetitive uh, that competitive advantage that you. But would don't be you still aren't you still injuries? looking for the best fourteen? Isn't that still the goal, or no? You are, but I think even though I think you're look, I think Ohio State will make it in. I think they could. I think they could probably not play another game and they'd probably get in. I think there, and that's my problem. I do think there is a bias towards the brands. I mean, that's what I always say about the SEC. I think Ohio State has earned that pass that they probably would get, but that would bother me to every player at Cincinnati that you know put their body out there on the line every single week uh, and had injuries and had to make more sacrifices. And Ohio State only had to go out and play four or five games. I don't think that's right. Like, I don't think that's fair to the Cincinnati players. I don't think that's fair to the Texas A&M players. I don't think that's fair to the BYU players. Like, all the other players that played a significantly more. And look, I don't, I'm all, I want to be pro player as much as I can. But at some point, like, the Big Ten is, the, the, is to blame for all this. They're the ones that made this problem with their with you know that. way stricter policies which are causing more cancellations than in other conferences uh the pac-12 is even worse so that's like we've already kind of written them off because i don't think they have a worthy candidate and the sad thing is i do think ohio state could probably beat some of the teams that they might have to face uh in the playoff but i just i don't i, I don't like and i mean i guess hey every year somebody's going to get hosed anyway like every every year it's so like oregon got hosed last year i think maybe they could have beat oklahoma like 
I guess that's the way you have to approach it because it's college football. It's what we do. Um, I think that the committee might have already tipped its hand. What if Clemson over Ohio State wasn't as much about Clemson as it was about the Big Ten and the idea that the committee is going to give an advantage to teams that have played more games when it comes to splitting these hairs? Because if Michigan State gets canceled, if Michigan gets canceled, that Ohio State team is going to go into that championship week not playing in the Big Ten championship game, but we'll say because they've given themselves the flexibility to pair up whoever they want – It'll be Ohio State and Wisconsin, but that Ohio State team will be 4-0, and the last memory we have of it is it letting Indiana crawl back into a game that it had won 35-7. Like, at that point, you really wish, if you're an Ohio State fan, that it had broken the other way, and that game ends up being 49-7, to and they'd been able to hit the gas, and they'd been able to have a result against a, a highly ranked Indiana team that's going to be impressive because, I mean, 52-17 against Nebraska – 38-25 against Penn State, 49-27 against Rutgers, 42-35 against Indiana. Ohio State is impressive based on the players that are on the team. The results and the profile is not wildly impressive. Especially, I mean, I think you, you could look at, again, if you take a, how many games they played, four? Yes, four. Yeah. If you take, think about if you take Florida's best four-game sliver. You know, that's probably more impressive than whatever Ohio State's put together. And Florida does have a loss. Um, Now, it was a loss to Texas A&M where they were dominant on offense. Once again, they they did give up too much on defense, but it was sort of just like a fumble at the end of the game, ultimately kind of tipped the balance there. So I think Florida's probably going to get another loss to Alabama along the way, but they played, they will have played, how many games would that be, 11? Uh-huh. 10 SEC so, games plus a championship week So if game. they play 11 games and Ohio State lands at, let's just say, best-case scenario, six, then um, – or what? No, I guess the best-case scenario would be seven. But um, then, you know, you can find seven a seven-game stretch that Florida has has looked pretty unbeatable. And and then – and that, I think that's the, that's the tough comparison for the committee. Have you – like, you could go through – and do this with every team in the top 10. I mean, have you looked – I mean, I was just trying to add it up really quick. Two, four, like the records of the opponents who Ohio State has beaten. Like Indiana's a good win, but the other ones, Nebraska's one and four, Penn State's one and five, Rutgers is two and four. They have nothing to hang their hat on outside of the Indiana win. The uh, and, But you could find the other team's worst four games, and they're probably not as bad as Ohio State's four games they have offered. Ohio State, I think, has been the controversial team or at least in some part debatable every year of the college football playoff. Because in the year they won it, 2014, first year of the college football playoff, remember they had climbed all the way back from like number 14 and number 15, sneak in as the number four seed, but then they go on to win. I think 2015 and 16, doesn't that sound like those are both years where they end up... uh they end up one loss. Like the one of those was like a Michigan state ends up winning the division and ends up going on to win it. So it's like that one conference loss ends up holding them back. I'm uh, I just, you know, every single year they can't help it. They're just like that permanently like four <laughs> five debatable team. And now we're going to yeah, be at well, it again. I think it goes. And this is like Bama has found themselves in some controversy the year they got in, didn't win the West. 
It's the teams that get preferential treatment because of their history of success. I mean, I think it's a fact that they do get it. And credit to them when they get the second chance or they get the benefit of the doubt, they take advantage of it. So they're like, and their fan base can be like, hey, screw you guys. We showed you we were the best team. And aren't we supposed to find the best team in college football? We did it. Coming up on the other side, do we have the Heisman Trophy all wrong? We'll get into that. Plus early line look ahead and more next. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So uh, one of our favorite parts of Monday's shows are always DK's reaction to the reaction. You know, we're, we're out here late at night, long Thanksgiving weekend, trying to trying to piece together everything that we had seen. And, uh, and sometimes we let some things slip through the crack. We need accountability, and the accountability comes from Danny Cannell. What, were, what was standing out as reaction to the reaction this week? So, so first of all, I give it like a solid B, just a grade <laughs> yeah. for the, the pod, just in case you guys want to know, like solid effort. It was late. It was a bad day of college football, I think. You guys hit on that. I think there is a lot of fatigue out there. Uh, the first thing I noticed was, uh, Chip, you had a comment, which I completely agree with, that uh, Dicker the kicker would have made the kick had Sam Ellinger not taken the sack. Mm-hmm. And that drove me nuts. I don't think enough people have brought that up. I th- it had the distance and the angle at which it was coming in. I think it would have angled in had Ellinger not taken that. And by the way, that was the worst example of a four-minute drill then followed up with the two-minute drill, two completely opposite situations Worst execution I think I've ever seen. Four-minute drill, when they get the ball, they have the lead. They're trying to run out the clock. They go three and out with two pass attempts, incompletes, which both stopped the clock, gave Iowa State back the ball with plenty of time. And then Sam Ellinger, who I feel bad for, but as a senior who's played that much football, I mean, that's like one of the basic tenets of the two-minute drill. 
is you cannot take a sack in that spot. You just can't. You can't take a sack there. He did. And uh, ultimately, I think it cost him the game. So that was the, the first reaction. The other thing I thought that was really interesting, which you guys were talking about, and I was thinking this while I was watching the Florida game, and I was thinking, man, Kyle Trask is getting a lot of love for the Heisman Trophy, and he should. He's having an outstanding year. Because I'm watching Kyle Pitts rattle off this game when he just comes back, and he gets three, you know, five catches, three of them go for touchdowns for 99. I'm like, there is not a more dominant player in the country. This was in the early window. Then I'm watching Bama later. I'm like, well, hold on a second. Devontae Smith might give him a run for his money. And then I heard Barton say, holding Tom to, uh, to his uh, you know, Heisman vote, saying, hey, don't be fraudulent for Nelly. You got you to vote these for these guys to be one and two. And I tend to agree with you. But then at some point, I wonder, is that like the Ross Perot vote when, you know, in the election, when he was running as independent, it took away votes. Who was it allowed Clinton into office? His votes took away from Bush. I believe I'm not the best political expert. I'll allow you guys that are much smarter than me. But I feel like those are just, I totally agree with you, but I think they're going to take away from the vote of who actually is probably going to win. And I think it'll probably be Kyle Trask or Mac Jones, like when it's all said and done. But it is a massive problem. I know it's kind of a debate that we've had on here that college football circles always have. I don't know if I've kind of got to the point where I just throw in my towel and I'm like, it is what it is. It's a quarterback. It's the best quarterback in the country. I can just kind of throw it in the towel. Man's got to stand for something, Danny. You know, I agree. I think (laughs) I, I hear you, but part of the issue is it's like, uh, it's like me voting in Tennessee for a presidential (laughs) election. My vote does not matter. It's, it's been not, decided. Not, I am not going to uh, reveal my political leanings, but my vote doesn't matter. Tennessee's going red whether I vote or not. Um, there are so many people that are, are voters for the Heisman, most of which are like watching a couple games on the weekend and like I, – we're covering a team. This is the, I, I try to I try to have in mind who these voters are whenever we're talking about the Heisman Trophy or making predictions, and I have to be able to have some understanding and like almost forgiveness. It's like no, you are um, busting your tail trying to yep. get as many of these Zoom interviews together or in a regular season, like going around the locker room, talking to five or six players, then you're going to transcribe all of that. Like you're trying to do the job that you are employed to do. You're not going to have enough time to watch enough football to really be considered an expert. And so you rely on highlight shows and you rely on uh, you know, whatever the, the sports talk conversation is or whatever the, the rankings are. And a lot of those are going to be based around quarterbacks and offensive plays that come from quarterbacks. And so I, I, I try to, you know, I make my predictions with that in mind, but also I can't ask for much more from the Heisman voter who on his list his to-do list is like, I need to accomplish nine things before, oh yeah, and get my Heisman vote in by 5 p.m. But if you are a person that has had the opportunity to, to consume enough football, to have an opinion outside of the most <clears throat> watered-down mainstream opinion, then I think y- you have a responsibility to vote how you see it and then publicize that vote, even if it's after the fact, because I know you're not allowed to do, do it beforehand. 
and 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 speak out on why so that maybe someday in the year 2300 you know there will be a, a vote that actually rewards uh, a non-quarterback that might be the best player well, in college football the, that year. The problem is last year we had the a historic runaway winner, but Chase Young was the runner-up. You know, and so it was like a little bit of subversion, but you only get that subversion with the most like uh, typical winner. Like it has to be the eventual national champion quarterback. So it's like everybody agrees on one, but we don't know how we're filling out our twos versus threes, which is where you get like Justin Fields and Chase Young both ended up as finalists. Like Chase Young ends up as the runner up, but you can, the, the Heisman electorate, the voters will allow for a little bit of spice, but it's just not going to happen in that number one spot. No. And it's so I, and I heard you guys, I thought you guys did a great job of debating the Kyle Trask versus Kyle Pitts. And there was an example give, I forget who gave it, but said, well, when when, Pitts was out, when Kyle Pitts was out, that Trask still put up numbers and which I think is, and Barton brought up the point. Well, if Emory Jones was in there, do you think he still would have put up numbers? I think he would have. What do you think happens if you put Kyle Trask on Kansas and he's playing quarterback? And what do you think if Kyle Pitts is put on Kansas by himself? Kyle Pitts is probably still going to ball. He's still yes. going to get numbers because some, like some quarterback is going to throw it to him and he's going to make plays. Kyle Trask I don't, or Mac Jones or any of the other quarterbacks who kind of in this conversation this year, I don't think they're going to be put on Kansas and be able to just lift up the level of play or dominate the way that Kyle Pitts or Devontae Smith would. Uh, the other thing too is I, like there's also the winning-losing part of it that bothers me where you could be an incredible player but if you are on a losing team, you have no chance to win it. And it's kind of like Greg Schiano, who was the coach of the year candidate you guys touched on. I don't think he'll win it because he didn't have enough wins. But ultimately, the job that he's doing at Rutgers is coach of the year worthy without question. Um, we, don't, we don't need to necessarily like brand this as a, as a full Knowles to go. But I, I will say, Danny, do you think Florida State plays again? You know, it was funny because I was thinking about this over the season, and it's pretty clear. Um, I don't want to say Florida State doesn't want to play, but if you got an excuse, like I don't, I don't, honestly don't know, but I wouldn't want to play. Like they're down to one healthy quarterback. You know, they're going to get embarrassed every time they take the field. We've seen players opt out. Like if you were allowed Florida State, if you said, you know what, we're going to let you opt out of the season if you want to, I think I would say, yeah. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna say we're gonna sit this one out. I think there are a lot of teams that would take that uh, avenue. Well, we're close and, enough. There's only two. I mean, <laughs> we've got December fifth and December twelfth, and right. know, unless you're one of these Pac twelve, uh, I mean, uh, Pac twelve and Big Ten that have really committed to this like championship week charade, then you know, uh, right. if you're an ACC team that's been getting after it since September twelfth, or a Big Twelve team. I, I almost would allow for, I won't criticize it if it's like, well, you know what? This is it. We're packing it right. up and uh, best of luck. We're focused on early signing period now. And you know, it would be a lot more entertaining the two weeks that we have left. Like if you let the teams that are battered COVID cases and they're dwindling and they're just trying to hang on by a thread, if you let them sit, you know, opt out and then you rework the schedule so that it was teams that were either healthy enough or invested into the rest of the season the last two weeks, you'd see a lot better games than we saw this past Saturday. But no, I, to answer your question, I don't know. I don't. My hunch tells me maybe not that Florida State doesn't play again this season if the cases are just starting to rise. 
um, you know, with this most recent thing against uh, Virginia, it's getting embarrassing. And Florida State's been in, you know, an embarrassment for the past, you know, two or three years, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, but I mean, if you had me bet, but I do think, I do think Mike Norvell would go out there and play. I think he would put out a team to play if they were healthy enough to do it with COVID numbers and they could. So Bronco Mendenhall says, I have no interest in going back to Florida state and Dabo Sweeney wants to make Florida state come to death Valley or pay for the visit. If they were to play December 12th, I'm currently looking at the Florida state schedule. There's a date versus Clemson PPD. There's a date against Virginia PPD. Both of them were supposed to be home games and it does not sound like either of the visiting teams have any plans to come to Tallahassee for those games. Yeah, Virginia, um, Jamie Oaks does a great job on our uh, 24-7 Sports Virginia site. Uh, oh, I was, think he was the guy who gave me uh, the uh, the Florida minus nine and a half live bet, I think. No, uh, that was Josh <laughs> Pate. Oh, okay, oh, shout out to Josh Pate. Good stuff. <laughs> that was a good call. Uh, but, you know, J- Jamie, when all that stuff was breaking, he was, he was um, letting me know that, like, this is, hey, like, what's happens is what's going to happen, but Virginia's not happy. Um, Virginia was not happy with the way that played out with the communication, with the um, kind of the administrative decision-making process there, I guess. And, and, um, and what was communicated back to Virginia and that quote from Bronco Mendenhall leaves nothing to the imagination. I mean, that's basically him saying like middle finger up, like here's double bird, like get out of here. It's a mess at Florida state right now. It's a mess. Like they're pissing off everyone in the ACC. They've everyone's opting out. They just had their uh, quarterback commit decommit. Um, is, is likely going to commit to Ole Miss if he hadn't already. Luke Altmaier, who was a four-star guy, uh, they've you know fortunately Mike Norvell brought in two quarterbacks last cycle because uh, Willie Taggart went two straight cycles without bringing in any. Now they got to find another one for the 2021 cycle. Um, I'm telling you, man, this is a this this place is like a wasteland right now. Like they gotta, it's gonna this may take this may be a long rebuild. All right, so here's the question. I'll reverse the uh, the question here on the Knowles to go segment, and this hopefully is is this the low point? <laughs> like it felt bad it after the Miami. Lower. I know, but I can it get like if and I'm kind of like hoping now, like let's just be done with it, clear it out, start fresh. Get all the guys that don't want to be there, opted out. Get all the recruits that want to change their mind. Get them out. Start attacking the recruiting cycle with a vengeance and start getting healthy. Start building for the future. Start getting the work with the guys that you've got on campus. Like, man, this could be it. I was talking to uh, Ron Sellers, former Florida State. Great. Um, this morning about the program. We were doing something else. And uh, I was telling him something I would tell Florida State fans in general. Miami – was bad last year. They lost to two Conference USA opponents. FIU, and was it Louisiana Tech? Yeah. The other one? And Duke in between them. And it was Duke a three-game losing them. streak that was FIU, like, Duke, and Louisiana Tech. And that was when, I think, Manny Diaz had the moment. Like, it was the lowest point in the history of the program. They found, and, all, all it, and I do believe that the like, quarterback has to be priority number one. And I think it's much deeper than just a quarterback. But, man, what a difference a quarterback has made at Miami. Now, right. I don't see any Gregory Rousseau's running around. I yeah. don't see any uh, Quincy Roche's running around there yet. But, you know, everything looks a lot better when you get a quarterback. Y'all, transfer portal 
is going Absolutely. to be an absolute battle royale this year. I mean, everyone's jumping in there. Everyone's trying to just totally like reshape their roster with it. Uh, that's this is about to get wild. It's going to be a new era. I mean, this is going to be free agency. They should just stop calling it the the transfer portal and just say, "I want to be a free agent." You know, which is and then. That's the and it's good for them. Like Greg Ciano, that's one of the big reasons we've talked about this a lot on here. The amount of players he acquired that was a horrendous program, cleaned a lot of them out, brought in some players with more experience, more development. They've lifted two weights to you know two, three years longer. They're more mature. They're ready to handle a turnaround. So I I think it's gonna be a wild season too. And hopefully Florida State gets to partake in some of it. As we uh, turn our attention to the early line look ahead before we get out of here, uh, reminder that the lines, the biggest games on Saturday, are available for you to pick against the spread uh, with the College Football Pick'em Challenge. You go to cbssports.com slash college. Very easy. cbssports.com slash college. The biggest games on Saturday picked against the spread. It costs nothing to enter, and you get an opportunity to compete for the $1,000 weekly cash prize. You can also start a group uh, if you don't want to enter by yourself and you can compete against your friends or coworkers. But again, it is cbssports.com slash college. All the games will be lined up against the spread. You just fill out your winners, submit it, and you've got a chance to win the $1,000 weekly cash prize. You don't need to have been doing this all season to be able to come in, just splash down in the contest and take the money. It's really easy. Just get all those winners right. CBSSports.com slash college. It will open on Tuesday. That'll be the first time when the card is set, and it will run until noon on Saturday when the games lock. So go and get your chance to compete for that $1,000 weekly cash prize is cbssports.com slash college. Okay. So we've got Clemson on the road in Blacksburg, 22 point favorites, Ohio state on the road in East Lansing against Michigan state, 22 point favorites. We've got Florida on the road at Tennessee. 17-point favorites, and let's see. I think there's one more. Texas A&M. Texas A&M on the road at Auburn, six-and-a-half-point favorites. We, we, college football, like, there was a simpler time at CBS Sports where we didn't even pick games against the spread. You know, it was, it was just like you just had to pick winners, and that was the way that you filled out your expert picks. And I felt like I was a lot more free to sort of ride the rhythms of a college football season, you know, be like, I don't know, you know, you're going on the road to Jordan Hare stadium. You're feeling real good about yourself. Got a top six ranking could be an upset spot. Um, do we think any of these top teams are going to end up in a very like classic college football fashion, end up getting got in this late season, uh, late season week? A hundred percent. Somebody's going down and I just don't know who it is. Think? Yeah. I don't know, that happens man. all the time. I, I feel that's like a, that's the thing is it happens all the time. I understand that if I take each of these games individually and break them down, I'm not going to pick any of the favorites to lose. But if I look at the whole collection of them, I'm thinking somebody's at least going to get a scare. You're talking about one of these like 25 plus favorites, like the no, the I was no, I was thinking specifically about A and M versus Auburn. I think that's a oh, really yeah, tough short, spot for them. Yeah. You know, short, not not Clemson or Ohio State or I mean, who knows if Ohio State had really significant COVID issues and they were all out there with forty eight players and Justin Fields out. 
Um, I mean, you, you think know. you think Florida's a surefire lock to win at Tennessee? I kind of do. I actually was going to look at that one to say, hey, lay the 17. But because, I mean, t- Tennessee lost to Kentucky. And I don't know. You could do that transitive property thing. I just think Florida's a significantly better team. I don't know where Tennessee's uh, flavor is. But it's a rival game. Maybe they get fired up for it. But that would be a game like I would never – I'll pick probably uh, the Gators to lay it. But I also – like I wouldn't be shocked if Florida got I would beat. be. I'd be shocked. I do think that this is a, in some ways, a, this is a year where I don't know that I'm ever expecting 20 plus point upsets, but this would feel more surprising than ever because the, as these teams progress in their seasons, the difference between something to play for and nothing to play for widens so much that some of these teams that are like underdogs significantly. I just don't know how how much belief they're bringing into these games. Pride's not enough. Like there's mm-hmm. not the. I mean, there is not the kind of inspiration that Florida State drew from having a top five opponent in town to be able to rise up for the biggest win of the season. That top five win against well, North plus Carolina. They're short, <laughs> plus they're shorthanded. Like yeah. a lot of these teams back into the year are shorthanded, and and yes, early in the year, like there's you know I don't know there's just you get beat. This is a you're getting beat down. You're getting it's a it's a mental it's trying. Alabama twenty eight and a half point favorite at LSU. SEC on CBS game of the week doubleheader eight p.m. Eastern time in prime time. I mean, what 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 would you nope. what would you need to take LSU? Thirty? Would you do it at thirty four and a half? Yeah, yeah, probably 34 and a half might. But that would be more principal. You wouldn't even do it with a lot of confidence or anything (laughs) that you could point to. I mean, Max Johnson looked lost. TJ Finley was getting thrown off as, I mean, at least the defense. I don't know if the defense actually played better or whether A&M was just that bad on offense, but that was an ugly offensive show for A&M. I thought thought that Texas A&M did not look very good against LSU in that game. That was my big takeaway. There's some games in the Big 12, Coca's uh, West Virginia Mountaineers. I think that could be a you know a possible. If it was in Morgantown, I'd be more into a potential upset. I think Iowa State coming off that win, but I think I, like Ooh. that wouldn't shock me if uh, West Virginia pulled that off. How about and Coca did it this one up the game of the week, uh, and that's why I'm rocking my Shantz gear here. Liberty at Coastal Carolina. You better believe I'm laying those six and rolling with the Shantz all day long, but. That's a tricky spot that could impact the uh, the group of five kind of undefeated in the top 25 uh, that, you know, no one would be shocked at all if Liberty won that game. So Liberty might not go to a bowl game. Have you followed this storyline? Liberty is not eligible for the group of five spot because they are not a group of five conference champion. That spot in the New Year's Six is reserved for the actual champion of a conference. Also... Um, Liberty not having a conference has no natural bowl tie-in or affiliation. And currently there is a, a running belief that because of the relationships that these bowls want to keep with all these conferences, they're going to be more. And because there's no bowl eligibility requirements, bowls might be more likely to honor those affiliations and take teams that are not otherwise bowl eligible or sub 500 to fill those spots instead of, you know, cutting ties with say the American athletic conference or conference USA uh, to be able to fill that spot with Liberty bowl affiliations, allegiances, loyalties. Uh, this is so over my head. I don't know. I do not understand. Like 
that is all the like, oh, projecting which teams are going to go to what bowl. Um, I'm every year. I'm like, man, wake me up when the bowls are all set because I have no idea like why you said that or where is this going or who's third team in this division and like. Basically, a bowl game would have to be choosing Liberty and potentially breaking a relationship with that conference, in which case... So the, what, so what would that mean? Okay, go ahead. So the bowl the game would be choosing itself. The bowl game would be saying, like, look, conference, I'm really, really sorry. I know that y'all want to put one of your teams in, but we are strapped for cash. Liberty's going to travel. We know that they're not going to, like, put any restrictions on, on like, like they, they are going to come, and they are going to bring uh, enthusiasm and, and money that we need for this bowl game. So and then, we'll and get then you back next year or something. And then, and then with, what, what's the, the, the fear there is a conference would be like, like that they, they would sever the relationship? Oh, that it what? would damage a relationship that's ongoing and contractual. It would in like I don't know I don't think these are on a single year basis with the bowl games relationships with the conferences, but it would certainly cause some friction and some damage with that relationship. If I'm a conference commissioner, I want to get as many of my teams in bowl games, sure. and it doesn't matter what their records are or what bowl games are. And so if I'm told that I am one less team in the postseason because you're going to go get this independent Liberty team, then I'm going to be a little upset. Liberty will play in a bowl. Yeah, because it, the draw is going to be too much, right? Yeah, it, because and I think also, I think I'm curious to know what some of these teams around 500 and that might be getting some of these offers, what their taste for is for going. Like typically always hear, hey, we want the bowl. We want the 15 extra practices. I know there are a lot of coaches that are exhausted and just want this season to be done. Yeah, you there might be, right. be some. There might be some teams that be like, hey, you know, thanks for the invite, but we'll see you next year. Did, and then that'll provide an opportunity for Liberty. Danny, did you mention the like – early signing period and like conference championship week. Like there's going to be some exhausted assistant coaches on like showing up on December 19th for like the, if you've got a game that week and you've been doing early signing period and you've had this whole like COVID season, like all coming to a close right now, it's ridiculous. I'll throw in the towel and they got to do their three times a week COVID test. Like whenever they do it, like thrown into all that, forget it. Mm crazy. He is Danny Cannell. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. See ya. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.